Welcome to the Presence Podcast from Hope Community Church, Wyndham. You can find more resources and connect with us through our website at hopecommunitychurch.co.uk. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired as you listen. Great to see you all this morning here. Great to see you all out in TV land as well. It's great to be with you. My name's Mark, as Grantly said, part of the leadership team here. And uh, yeah, I get to speak to you about hearing from God for miracles. I hope you're excited. There are at least three people excited at the room. Just to let you know, uh, back out there, I hope we've got more excited out there. But you know, this good? It's okay? It's fine? It's all good? So let me uh, start with a question. Let me start with a question, just to get you thinking, all right? Can you hear the voice of God? There are at least five people convinced they can hear the voice of God here. I don't know about you out there. Right, that's, that's an important question. It's a key question. It's a really important question. And if you are a Christian or you're not a Christian today, you can hear the voice of God. By definition, if you have become a Christian, you have responded to the voice of God. Okay, so therefore you can hear the voice of God. So let's get rid of that rubbish lie out of the way that you can't hear the voice of God because you can. And if you're not a Christian here today, watching or wherever, you can hear the voice of God because he is constantly speaking and constantly wanting to reveal himself today. That is who he is. Now, when I read this wonderful book called the Bible, I read stories of uh, God speaking directly to individuals I read stories of angels coming and speaking to individuals on behalf of God. I I read stories of God speaking to entire groups of people. I I read stories again and again of, of miracles, of dreams, of all sorts of things. And I read this and go, yes, that is true. And I'm looking to see it today, right now. Okay? Now, that isn't the case for everyone who calls themselves a Christian. Some Christians do actually believe that miracles stopped when the Bible was completed. Okay, they ceased. There is actually a very posh word for them called cessationist. Okay, that's a good word, isn't it? I know you'd like to learn words, and it's a great word for Scrabble as well. Gets rid of all your S's. Cessationist. It is, it's, it's a word that describes, like, say, yeah, that was for now. It's not, it's not for now. It was for then, not for now. Now, why am I telling you that? Well, because... It is possible to read the Bible, believe in miracles for today, and yet live as a functional cessationist. Right? That's a very posh way of saying you're not seeing it happen. Jack Deere, um, who wrote an amazing book, I recommend you all read this book. Okay, everyone, go and buy this book and read it. It's called Surprised by the Voice of God. It's an olden but a good one. It really is. He said this. He said, it is hard to read a book every day that tells how God supernaturally intervenes in the daily lives of his children and yet see no practical relevance for these supernatural phenomena in our present experience. There is a film out there called Ratatouille. Who's seen Ratatouille in the room? Give me a wave. Yeah. At home, you can do that too. Um, right. This, this film, if you've not seen it, is about a rat. And this rat is particularly... It's an animated film, just so you know. Okay, it won an Oscar. But anyway, it's an animated film. 2007, which makes me feel old. Anyway, 2007, this film, and it's about a rat. And this rat can cook. He's an amazing chef. And he ends up traveling to Paris, where he, he cooks in, in one of the most prestigious Michelin-star restaurants in the world, called Gusteau's. 
And the reason that he has been inspired, really, to take this fact that he can taste things and then he can, and, and he can cook is based upon Gusto's phrase, everyone can cook. I want to get this into our heads today. Everyone can hear the voice of God and everyone can see miracles happen in their life. Not just for me, through me. Okay? That's a big shift. So we need, to, we need to get that in our mind. So we need to say that. We need to declare that. Okay? So repeat after me. I can hear God. I can see miracles happen. Not just for me, but through me. Hey, there you go. You've said it now. Now, a miracle is something which requires God's supernatural input into it. Okay? It needs, it is by definition outside of the natural. It, it, it cannot be explained any other way. Al Grantley, when he opened up this preaching series a couple of weeks ago, introduced us to the verse James 5.17, and it is a very important verse because it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. As we look at the life of Elijah and Elisha, and we're going to look at Elijah again today, we'll find that in 1 Kings 17. If you've got your Bibles, you're going to open that up. It's not going to appear on the screen. You're going to have to find a Bible or an app or something, anything that's got the Bible on it, okay? In 1 Kings 17 is where we're at. But in 1 Kings 17, we see Elijah doing some remarkable things absolutely incredible miracles and as we go through the journey of one kings and into two kings with elijah and elisha you will see more and more bonkers and crazy miracles and he was a man like us he was a man like us okay so you're like him so say that out loud i'm like elijah you are some of you don't sound convinced yet we'll get there it's okay now as we go to one kings 17 we're going to jump around quite a lot, so get ready. You're going to have to keep your thumb on the Bible, and we're going to have to move around a little bit, just in that passage, but I've kind of chunked it up into different ways. So let me tell you what's happened so far. Uh, the book of 1 Kings is a great book. It tells the story. It's a history story of um, Israel and Judah's kind of uh, kings and how they did and, and what they got up to. And in the kind of passage and, and in the kind of passages that you see, you kind of get all of these different kings turn up. And some kings, they did well in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so we see that. And then there's an awful lot where every passage seems to start King Dudar, and he did evil or bad in the eyes of the Lord. You kind of get this kind of repetitive thing going on and on and on, going through the whole thing. And we're in a place right now where there is a king who is not doing well in the eyes of the Lord, and he started worshipping a foreign god called, uh, his name is Ahab, and he's worshipping, um, sorry, Asa, Ahab. Asa, Ahab. Anyway, get there eventually. Ahab. And he's, <laughs> he's worshipping Baal, who is a foreign god. Bad god, okay? And he's kind of put, he wants to trust to him instead of the god of his forefathers, the god of king in heaven, our god. Now, what we see is that Elijah has gone up to him and said, you shouldn't be doing that, and if you don't stop it, then it's not going to rain, and there's going to be a mighty drought. And all of a sudden, it doesn't rain. 
At this point, Elijah forms what is commonly known in the army as a tactical withdrawal, or running away for the rest of us, and he ends up being fed by ravens in the wilderness next to a brook. The brook dries up, and God says to him, right, now is the time where you need to go to Zarephath. And when you get to Zarephath, there's going to be a widow. So that's where we pick our story up, and we're going to start in 1 Kings 17, and we're going to read two situations that he encounters with this widow. Two situations, okay? So the first one's this in 1 Kings 17, verses 10 and 12. So Elijah, he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's scenario one. There's a lady, she's got nothing left and she is about to die. She's starving to death. Now, interestingly, the reason she is starving to death is because Elijah has prophesied what he's prophesied. Okay? The drought has caused her situation. So that's, that's where it's at. He does, she doesn't blame him. She doesn't know. But that's where we're at. Now, he then stays with her a little bit. We're going to read a little bit more about that in a moment. But then, all of a sudden, the second situation arises. Let me introduce you to scenario two, or situation two. This is in 1 Kings 17, verse 17. So after this, so the, the, they survive that. We'll read up how in a moment. After this, the son of the woman and the mistress of the house became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. We'll get to What's, uh-oh, all okay? I'm going to carry on. Um, so what happens here is you've got scenario two or situation two where the woman's son has died. Those are two bad situations. I don't know if you picked up on that at all. You know, those are not good places to be. Bad situations. At this point, the widow blames Elijah. Now, the previous one was his fault, but this one, he's got no part in at all. But she still blames him. Now, what's interesting, this is just a, just a point, okay? This is just a sidetrack, really, but just a point. It's, it's basically people will blame God even when they claim to not have faith in him. So when somebody says to you, how can God cause so much suffering? They are not expressing their disbelief in God. They have actually got a faith in there somewhere. And what they're saying is, help me understand. Okay? So that's an important point. We need to understand that the people of God will often get blamed for people's kind of emerging faith, if you like, in terms of how they view the world and how that kind of goes on. So we need to help them grasp what's going on here. And the way that... Elijah does this is that he does not defend God. Instead, he brings a revelation of God through the miracles. So he doesn't defend God. He brings a revelation of God through the miracles. You see, God does not panic. Nothing takes him by surprise. (laughs) Okay? Two desperate situations here. 
But in both of them, God is looking to reveal himself. I don't know whether you played, uh, whether you've got, had young children or whatever, but you, you know, you play hide and seek with them. And when they're very young, you don't go all out. Right, now if I play hide and seek with my kids now, I'm like climbing on top of the wardrobe, curling up in a ball, like any place that I can find. I'll, I'll, I'll go outside, I'll dig a hole in the garden, I'll hide myself like camouflage, full on. Right, that's the kind of competitive hide and seek we like in our house. But when they were little, I would hide behind the curtain with my feet sticking out. Because part of the fun of it is that they get to find me. God is looking to reveal himself in all situations. He wants to reveal himself. It's interesting in this particular um, passage, Zarephath is actually the center of Baal worship, right? It's the center of where Baal is kind of the origination of his, his worship and how he worshiped. That's, that's where it came from. And in fact, Jezebel, who we'll meet later on, who's a particularly dangerous and nasty follower of Baal, she comes from there as well. So what's happened here is that Elijah has been sent into the very midst of Baal territory to go and reveal who the true God is to the people who live there. My dad in the 1980s um, had a friend, um, he's got several friends, but he had one friend who was an Ipswich supporter. And uh, my, my dad was a Norwich fan. He he's got, had a season ticket. He doesn't want any more, but he had a season ticket. And, um, you know, in the 80s, that was probably the last time Ipswich and Norwich pay, played each other right. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know it's mean. Sorry to any Ipswich fans out there. Um, and uh, there was this whole situation where this Ipswich fan said, oh, there's Ipswich and Norwich are playing each other. Can you, get me some, can you get me some tickets? And my dad went, yeah, I'll get you some tickets. What my dad did was that he got this man a ticket in the roughest part of Carra Road in Norwich's ground. It's called the Barclay End, it's the, the lower end, the snake pit I think it's called right now, okay? So he got him this ticket in the 1980s where, you know, football violence was slightly different, I think it's fair to say, a bit nasty back then. And this man, he came out of, he survived, you know, but he said he'd never been so terrified in his life. He had his Ipswich shirt on, but he had his coat zipped right to the top, particularly hot day as well, you know, just to add to the pain. And so this guy, I mean, he was just not happy at all. But what, what we are is that we have been put in probably one of the most dangerous, horrible situations that we can ever imagine to reveal who God truly is to the people around us. Okay? We are, we are a bit like that Ipswich fan revealing himself to everyone around him. That's, that's what's going on here. That's what's happened with Elijah. Now, what then we need to see is what Elijah does. How does he go about these miracles? How does he reveal these miracles? So there's two methods here, okay? Let's go with method one. This is in 1 Kings 17, 13, 16. So this is in response to the lack of food and the people starving. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days and the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord as he spoke by Elijah. That's method one, make a cake. Method two, dead son. 1 Kings 17, 19 to 23. 
And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Method two, lie on a dead person. Okay, I am not suggesting for one minute that we go around lying on dead people. Okay, although God does crazy things. I'm not even suggesting that the way to see a miracle happen is to make a cake. Because when we start to look at how Jesus did miracles and all the other miracles in the Bible, the only method you see is there doesn't appear to be a method. So Jesus spits and makes some mud for a blind man. He goes up to a kid and says, give me your packed lunch because I want to feed 5,000 people. There's a big storm that he's about to calm, and so he takes a nap. There doesn't seem to be any kind of consistency at all. If only there was. If only we had this list that said, step one, to see a miracle happen, do X. Step two, do Y. Apply balm here. Do whatever it is, right? That there isn't anything at all. The only constant we see is that God speaks and people are obedient to that. That's the only common denominator. Jesus said this in John 5.19. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. It comes out of a relationship. This whole hearing God deal comes out of a relationship. I often speak to like, you know, if I, if I meet particularly people who, who really do hear God very clearly, and I'll ask them, well, how does it work for you? How does it work? How do you hear God? What, what goes on? And I know we'll be exploring more and more of this, of this series, and we're going to get you in a better place, right? But there's just this whole deal. I said, what, what, what works for you? And again, it's just so inconsistent. So one person, Keith Hazel was his name, he said, well, what happens with me is I see someone who, who looks like someone I know. And, and God will prompt me and remind me and, and speak to me in that moment. And then I'll, I'll say and reveal what God has for their life over them. Another guy called Julian Adams said this. He said, well, what happens with me is that I see kind of stuff over people, almost like spiritual highlighters going on above them. He sees actual things above people's head. And then he's able to kind of say and reveal what God says. For, for other people, it's just a general impression. You're just in a room with someone. You go, yeah, I, I get the sense that this is who you are. You, 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 people get attuned to the voice of God. Other people will start to notice what people are wearing and kind of go, ah, oh, okay, you're, you're wearing that. I think God wants to speak through that. So they get, God speaks to them through kind of, jewelry or clothes or whatever it is other people it will be a bible verse it'll be like okay this this verse here it will just pop into people's head and away they'll go they'll get kind of that prompting from there the again the only consistency there is consistency there is is that there is just this great plethora of ways that does it because it's a relationship and out of that relationship comes obedience and when you start doing those things then you start to see god work in amazing miraculous ways it's like you've got the Batman utility belt on, okay? 
I, the, and I'm not talking about the really cool, like, I'm Batman, kind of like Batman right now. I'm talking the 1960s Adam West, kind of complete in tights and pants over the, over the thing. That, that Batman, right, with the yellow utility belt. If you've never seen it, you need to go home immediately. Stop watching me. Go and put it on the TV, right? Get find Adam West, utility belt. It's amazing. It's brilliant. And the best thing about it was that everything had bats in front of it. So every time he kind of came to a scenario, this utility belt would have exactly what he needed for that particular moment. So he'd like open up, the, open up and go like, all right, I need, I need a rope. I'm going to get out the bat rope. And it's going to have a bat grappling hook on it. And I'm going to throw it up and I'm going to climb up it, which is just a legend in terms of how the whole cinema was worked there. But then he'd kind of encounter a shark and he'd need, I kid you not, bat, bat shark repellent. Right? Okay. So that would come out of the utility belt and you spray it and it'll all be okay. There would just be this, this, this whole different thing. Now, what I say to you today is that you all have a utility belt, but it's a Holy Spirit utility belt. Right? In any given situation you find yourself in, you have the kit and the guide in how to encounter and how to help people encounter God through that particular situation. So God will speak to you and he'll reveal to you, right, this one, I need to see healing in this person. This person, right, they need uh, financial provision. Right, this one, oh, they just need to hear about the love of Jesus. This one, right, they need this verse from the Bible, this, this psalm, whatever it is. Okay, different situations. And it all comes out of this relationship of hearing from God. Because in this particular passage, there are two ways that these kinds of miracles happen. One is instigated, and the other is instructed. So in one scenario, you have God very clearly, in, uh, in scenario one in verse 14, God saying, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do, okay? In the other scenario, in the dead person, in verse 20, it's uh, Elijah who instigates it, and he starts praying. Now, praying is really important because we need to know the voice of God. And we need to know the will of God. And you might say, well, I don't know the will of God. It's all very complicated. And every time I pray, nothing ever happens, and so I give up. What you've done there is assumed that God doesn't want to answer the prayer, and so you've stopped. That's not how it works. You pray until you see something happen, or you get a very clear answer to stop. I know Terry Virgo, um, who kind of started New Frontiers many years ago, his prayer meetings were marked by the fact that they would pray until they felt a peace to stop. Wow. I mean, we, we love our early morning prayer meeting Right, 6.30, Thursday, we, we're, we're praying for revival and we're going to keep going until we see it because that is the will of God, right? God wants all people to be saved. Yes, it's in the Bible. <laughs> all could come to him, so we, we're going to pray for that until we see it start happening. But to pray until you get to that point where you feel a peace to stop. You know, it is better to be obedient to the voice of God and get it wrong than it is to not do it at all. I think a lot of people get fearful in terms of miracles because they get to this point and go, well, what happens if I look silly? What happens if I get it wrong? What happens if the person in front of me doesn't want a revelation from God? It doesn't matter whether the person wants a revelation from God. God wants to reveal himself to them, and you're the person who's going to do it. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, usually we end up being the agents for seeing that happen.
We need to get it into our minds that success is not determined by how many people we see healed, by how many people we see saved. Success is determined purely on the basis of have we been obedient to the will of God? Have we been obedient to his voice? That's stirring in us whenever we get to that point of do this, do that. Now, guys, you've heard me say up here before, I have got this right on some occasions. I have got it wrong on far many occasions. I am constantly ignoring the voice of God in different situations. And I know that is not right. I have been on train journeys when you were allowed to do such things. <laughs> and, and God's spoken to me about going and speaking to an individual. And I've gone, you know what? No, thank you. I'm going to get off this train now. Thanks very much. Even if it's not my stop. No, I'm not quite that bad. But you're like, no, I've got to do that. On other occasions, God has said, no, you need to say this to a certain person or you need to go for this miracle. And I've gone, yeah, okay, let's go for it. And what happens is that when you are obedient to the voice of God, you start to hear him more and more. It will probably start with something small and it will build. So just before in this passage, Elijah is told to arise and go to Zarephath. That's the first thing he's told. That's fairly straightforward. Not a lot of risk involved in that. The second thing that happens is the widow. He meets and he finds out she's starving. And so he's able to go, oh, I've got a miracle for that. This is what God says. You're never going to run out of flour or water or oil. Okay. The next one is the widow's son is dead. What happens is as you learn to hear the voice of God, as you start to be obedient to it, you start to see more. You start to see more happening. The more you get used to the voice of God, the more that you see happen. And as you do that, you see God's will being done. And you see the kingdom demonstrated in more ways. Paul House says this, he says, Elijah's faith in the midst of uncertainty allows God to use him to demonstrate God's life-giving power. We're going to pray for some situations in a moment, so if the band can come up, that would be super. And what we'll do is we're going to pray, we're going to ask God to reveal some stuff. You guys out there, uh, hopefully, are going to get involved too. It's not all on me, and people in the room might get involved too, okay, because we want to see some miracles today. And then we're going to take communion, and then we'll see what God does. We'll see what God does. What's interesting is that in 1 Kings 17, 24, we read this. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in, the mouth, in your mouth is true. It took two miracles for this lady to realize what Elijah said about God was true. Some people take more than two miracles. Some people just take one miracle. You have to get more and more and more miracles going, okay? But all Elijah did was he was faithful. What's interesting is when we read Hebrews 11, which is a letter in the Bible, um, which has a wonderful chapter, Hebrews 11, all about faith, great women and men of faith, this widow is mentioned. So we know that because of Elijah and because of his willingness to be obedient to the voice of God and to go for the miracles, understanding the authority that he had, and you've all got amazing authority, right? If you're a Christian here today, you've got incredible authority. There is this, this deal here where the miracles prove the message for the woman and that enabled her faith. 
the miracles prove the message. That's why we go for these miracles. In a skeptical world, if somebody gets healed or if somebody gets an amazing provision or if there's an answer, then wow, that's going to that's gonna prove something. It might take several goes. It might take several miracles. But that's where we end up. So can we all stand if you're in the room? If you can stand at home, that would be good. We want to we wanna pray. We want to see... God reveal himself so I'm, I'm just going to pray for you guys first of all and then we're going to see where we go so Heavenly Father Heavenly Father I thank you first and foremost that you are a God of miracles that what you did and the accounts that we have in the Bible that is a guide for us the life of Jesus is a perfect example of how to live an anointed life completely in the will of the Father I thank you, Father, that the, the, the followers of you throughout the years, starting with the, the apostles in the book of Acts, they, they didn't say, oh, that was just Jesus. No, no, no. They went, yeah, no, that's, that's for today. That you poured your Holy Spirit on all men and women, sons and daughters, that we could hear you and that we could reveal you. Father, I thank you that that is who we are and that throughout the ages there have been people who've gone, yes, that is true. Miracles didn't stop in the Bible. They carry on today. So, Father, we're, we're hungry for that, Lord. Where we've, we've put our kind of, <laughs> our identity uh, as people who couldn't possibly do that or might get it wrong or are fearful of causing offense. Father, we say no. We turn away from that. And, Lord, we want to be purely obedient to your voice and to see your will be done. And we know that your will is to see everyone come to know you and that you use miracles to prove the message. So, Father, we, we look to you right now in that. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. To connect with us or for more resources like this, go to hopecommunitychurch.co.uk.